Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. Two of the best in the business right there. Yeah. I mean, nobody at uh, Paramount or CBS or whatever loves us, but... <laughs> uh, hey, Adam, I got a big old box here. It says, uh, Care of Jim Shimoda. You from, got uh, mail? You've got mail. Yeah, it's from listener William in, uh, in Irmo, South Carolina. Why don't you open up that big box? Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain size only. Have you been giving out your address again? I have. Uh, you went and got a P.O. box, right? I did. I did get a P.O. box for The Greatest Generation. And so I'm if thinking you want to stock might... Adam, it's very hard now. <laughs> I'm still very stockable. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. You're, you're willing to be stocked. Whatever colored handkerchief uh, is the stocking handkerchief you put in your back pocket, <laughs> uh, that's the one you're wearing around town. All right, what do we got here? Oh, man. All right. Got a letter. Adam and Ben, thanks for making the best pod. No one makes a pod like you guys do. You can ask anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, our pod touches all the orbs. Sure does. Uh, I found these exquisite entrepreneur blueprints at an antique mall in Asheville, North Carolina years ago and just had to have them. They Then they spent five years in my closet. Thought you guys would appreciate them and that they might make good set dressing for Greatest Gen Con 2017 East. <laughs> if nothing else, you can get the two hours of enjoyment pouring over them I did before relegating them to the bookshelf to be hidden or flipped around whenever you have company over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is cool. It's So it's like a kind of a cardboard box, but uh, you open it up and it's like, it's like uh, blueprint style maps of the inside of the ship. Really? Like deck by deck stuff? Yeah, exactly. And are they blueprint size? Like, like fold them out on a dining room table size? Yeah, they are fold them out on a dining room table size. Wow. This is cool. Man. They really, they really went deep with some of the merch for this show. Yeah. What is a what is our what is our equivalent of this? Like what's what's what weird merch item could we come up with that is as like inside baseball as as charts of the interior of the entrepreneur? Man, I think the most the most inscrutable merch item is probably the scarf and we didn't even do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean everything else has been pretty like our listener Ira did it. Yeah, yeah, but like shirts and glasses seem like a merch item that, if you do a thing, that is a natural extension of right what you can offer people. Are you this, saying? Are you proposing that we do something a little weird? I I love the idea of doing something a little weird. I mean, this is um, this one has two problems. I think one is that there are so many of them that you couldn't 
you couldn't really like hang them up unless you were like really committing to something. Yeah. And to um, your, uh, it's got your classic uh, folding the map back problem where you get one unfolded and it is super challenging to figure out which which you know way you're supposed to fold it back up to put it away nicely. Yeah, yeah. That said, uh, I I love how how specific it is. Did you find the dolphin paddock? <laughs> oh man. That's oh, yes. supposed to be a thing in those blueprints. Folks were talking about that, weren't they? Yeah. Um, what's it called? Sure. The cetacean <laughs> studies? Yeah. Man, I don't know. That, there's, they're literally... There, there might be ten blueprints in here, so it would be... Wow. It'd be, it'd be a lot of work to go through them. You could really wallpaper your office with that. Yeah, you really could. Let's do that and see if the wife notices. There might be more than ten. What we got... Wow. 12? 13? Lucky 13. What a cool and kind gift. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait to nerd out over these later. Well, if you have something that's been uh, squirreled away in your closet or <laughs> office space uh, to, uh, <laughs> to keep you from being embarrassed by your friends and coworkers and you'd like to send it in, uh, you can email drunkshimoda at gmail.com where either Ben will give you his real address <laughs> or I will give you the Greatest Generation's P.O. Box address. Uh, I don't almost be always exchange one or two emails with the person before I give up the the deets just to make sure that uh, that they can like hold the, their story together. <laughs> you know? To make sure you're not being catfished? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well... I trust your judgment more than mine, I guess. Adam, speaking of things that you could hang up on a wall, tapestries are a thing you could hang up on a wall. It's true. It's one of those episodes where they say the name of the episode in the episode. Yeah. It's uh, season six, episode 15. Tapestry. Now, Adam, uh, we discussed a bit on the last show that uh, our feelings on this episode are not exactly mutual. Yeah, not simpatico, are they? Did did, uh, did your rewatch change your assessment at all? Because you were you were claiming high mountain to to apex status for this episode going in. Yeah, I, I was claiming apex mountain, the the George Washington position in my. <laughs> Mount Nuckmore or whatever. But yeah, uh, I like it no less after the rewatch. What about you? You were uh you were you were pretty meh knowing I, I, that it was coming. I remain meh. I I I I Oh how dare you. I stand by this being a vetoable episode. Oh god. And uh I don't want to talk you out of liking it, but um You wouldn't. I, I do want to uh I do I do wanna have that uh Acknowledged going in. We right. start on a kind of emergency six bay scene where they do the beam directly to six bay with uh, Captain Picard, who has spilled a good deal of pasta sauce on his shirt, and another, like a yellow shirt, who's also uh, in pretty rough shape. Um, Worf, has, Worf has Captain Picard in the like, <laughs> 
carrying the bride across the threshold <laughs> hold. Sort of amazing to see him like that. To did see you both and, uh, of them like that. Did you and your wife do that when uh, when you got your house? Yes, we did do that. <laughs> I was I was trying to remember exactly because I remember there being some equivocation at the time. Yeah. Like I wanted to do that, and my wife was like. Eh, that's that's cheesy. And I was like, "Come on, we've got one shot at this. Let's do it." And so I think she uh, she didn't want to, but she did. She did it for my benefit. That's sweet. Yeah, I, I didn't there, even bonk her head against the door or anything. Well, there's something very patriarchy-ish about it, but I feel like there's a way to do it ironically that doesn't uh, that doesn't suck. That was fully my flavor on the whole thing. And it was also just the idea of, like, you have one chance to do this before that moment is gone. And even if it's cheesy and dumb, like, I'm willing to do that thing, whatever that is. Yeah. To seize that moment. Yeah. Carpe momentum. (laughs) This is sort of a theme to the episode, too. Mm. Picard is on what appears to be an extra large biobed, like the California biobed, right? <laughs> this his scale to the bed seems so different than any other person who's ever been in six bay before. I thought, how big is Patrick Stewart? Is he a is he a mini man the way a lot of famous actors are? I don't know because I feel like we've seen Picard sized people on biobeds before, and it it is sort of like just a, a chalk outline of a bed. It, it, uh, it's maybe, maybe a foot larger than a human figure. But this, this giant-sized bio bed, he could roll over three times and stay on it. 12 yards long, two lanes wide, 65 tons of American pride, Canyonero. I have a king-sized bed in my house, and my feet go right to the edge of it. I've never had a bed where my feet like stay comfortably on it. I am a foot-outside-the-bed sleeper. I, my feet are always out. He took <gasps> it out. Yeah. So I, I, would, uh, I would prefer that configuration. You know, speaking of, uh, of, of domestic things, <laughs> I, my, uh, I was banned from getting a king-size bed. Ben? I, 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 uh, I tried to help you. I tried to help you in this. I think my wife tried to help you, too. Yeah. Yeah, you are two people who can appreciate uh, the extra real estate of a bed. And I was like, why is my wife trying to tell Adam to get a bigger bed? (laughs) What's that about? (laughs) And I was like, why wouldn't she tell me about her preferences in beds? (laughs) Yep. Anyway, my 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 wife was uh, was like, you you will have no escape. (laughs) I will not even give you the impression that there is one. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you're stuck yeah that's the thing i think uh i think some people want want coupled sleeping to be about snuggling <laughs> other people want to be left alone other people want to be so far away that their feet and maybe their entire lower body to be out of the covers <laughs> <laughs> yeah so beverly is going through what in a contemporary medical parlance would be extraordinary measures. Mm. If if Picard had signed a do not resuscitate order, I think the medicine might have stopped at some point here. She's really going through a lot to keep him going. 
she's got the forehead things on him. Yeah. She's zapping him with the forehead things. She's she's scoping the inside of him. At and no his point artificial heart is is not helping the situation. It's all fused and sparky. Doctor, his heart stopped. Let's get it out of there. We need to zap this quick. Who's making a potato? At no point do they take the like the shears out and cut the shirt off of him, which I thought would have been a smart move given the fact that he obviously has a huge chest wound. Yeah. That's a level of makeup maybe they were unwilling or did not have the budget to do. What is Keeping with- chest wound takes a lot. <laughs> this is a ray that he's been hit with that does not damage fabric at all, but damages the flesh underneath that fabric. Oh, is that the idea? I thought I thought the fabric looked pretty scorched. Well, it's, it's melty. It's not melty. It's got it's got blood coming through it. Oh, that's all. I think that's mm. it. Mm. I mean, it it really looks like he was having some uh, paschetti and meatballs and and made a big mess on himself. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. The we Did get you- so little of the story about how this happened. Yeah. They were like outside of a conference room. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous place in the universe. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, I think they really need to rethink this whole conference thing. Mm-hmm. If you're conference They're all badge- wearing dustbusters too, so I think they knew the risk. Yeah. I feel like if your conference badge came with body armor, that might be that might be a prudent step for the Federation to take. Is action jacket phaser proof? Because that might have been a better piece of gear to wear down there in a potentially hostile environment. Yeah. I mean, he was wearing it on that Darmok planet. I know. Not knife proof. Well, he wakes up in the Matrix. And, uh, (laughs) like, like it's, it's it's the push into face of we're losing the patient. Yeah. And, uh, and like they... You know, they open the the aperture on the on the lens so that it starts to overexpose, and then uh, and then you know, like he he turns around and he's in the on the white seamless stage, and uh, there overexposed in front of him is John Delancey in the role of Morgan Freeman. This was a piece of production that I thought a lot about how they overexposed this scene, keeping. John Delancey so hot while while keeping Picard in standard exposure. Yeah. He must have been lit super hard. Yeah. It's definitely like the lighting and not they didn't like go in and post because he no. steps out of it at a certain point and you can see it. You can see the the umbra of that extra hot light move off yeah. of his move onto his face. And uh, he explains to Picard that uh, he's in the afterlife. Welcome to the afterlife, Jean-Luc. Pipes seems pretty horrified at his circumstances <laughs> because he like goes so far as to reach out to the figure that before he knows that it's Q, he's starting to put together that uh, that he's in some sort of afterlife scenario, and he reaches for him and like recoils when when Q shows himself. Not a good moment for Picard. No. Yeah, it's it's the it's the Picard eyes to to theme. Yeah, and the Picard eyes happens after John Delancey delivers one of the great You're dead <laughs> lines of dialogue. Yeah. He really gets some gravel in that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. 
so we come back and we're still in the matrix and uh a uh, couple of racks full of guns comes <laughs> comes in from the far distance lots of guns and they strap like, up what if i told you i'm god <laughs> q starts kind of making the case that picard has died and that he's gonna spend eternity here with q he conjures picard's father who has about three lines all about all about uh, Picard being a big disappointment. You call yourself my son, but I just don't see it. Yeah. Papa Picard. Kind of a dick, right? Yeah. Nothing's ever good enough for him. No. That's a very common, like, I feel like that is like the sine qua non of daddy issues in film and television is nothing is ever satisfying for daddy. Yeah. Yeah. The pall of parental expectations. Do we ever get to know Picard's mom? Ever? Hmm. I wonder about whatever happened to her. I mean, yeah. we know about his aunt, who has the the sleeping milk. And I wonder <laughs> what, uh, what his mom is like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any personal experience with anything like this. Like, I definitely have friends who have uh, parents who are either demanding or unable to express themselves in a way that is like genuinely positive but yeah um but yeah like so so this this is something that we only get like very small glimpses at what Picard's relationship with his family is like but uh what we know about it is that he really doesn't get along with any of them <laughs> that well like and yeah, and, and having his his dad pop in to uh, to insult him in the first moments that he is in the afterlife, uh, <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be pretty rough. And it, um, it seems like Q is attempting to hurt him here. Q, enough of this. Enough what? By conjuring the parents, and then in sort of a ghostly fashion, conjuring the voices of every life. Picard's actions have ever taken. Yeah. Like whether intentional or not intentional. And that has to be a lot of fucking voices given what happened at Wolf 359. Right. I have to believe that most of them happened there. I definitely went to that as well. Do those count to Q? Like how is Q make like making the judgment calls on this? Because there've got to be edge cases, right? Sure. Like Wolf 359 is kind of Q's fault. <laughs> yeah. Does if, Q ever take any responsibility for that? No. <laughs> it's I don't know. It it also just made me think about like the decision to make uh make a life for yourself where life and death things are uh a part of it, which is a yeah. decision that I've definitely not made, but you know, like if you decide to be a cop or a doctor or a politician or you know there's or soldier you know like there's like that's a that's such a huge responsibility and i think that picard is a character that we have established does not take that responsibility lightly no he certainly doesn't i mean this scene also made me think like in a way that as a starfleet captain you can draw a straight line between your decisions and the lives of others I mean, I'm not so sure that this scene couldn't have been played with you or me in the Picard position. And and every moment 
every decision we've ever made, you know, having some sort of butterfly effect on someone else's life. Like we could have, and it's probably a a statistical probability that, uh, that the yellow light we did not run (laughs) ended up, ended up changing a car's position, 10 cars back that 20 minutes later resulted in a terrible accident, for example. Right. Like, we couldn't possibly know the circumstances that that we have indirectly created. It's, a, it's an interesting thought experiment. Picard is, for his part, is basically standing here rejecting Q as the proprietor of the afterlife, the owner-operator of... The Matrix. If I'm really dead, then my only regret is dying and finding you here. He doesn't accept that uh, he has to spend eternity with Q, and he's basically, you know, pursuing the same line he always does with Q, which is cut it out, leave me alone. Uh, wouldn't you almost be relieved if you died and saw someone familiar like <laughs> Q? I, I kind of feel like I would. The alternative uh, could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> So Q explains that the the heart is the is the culprit the the uh, artificial heart that Picard famously had replaced by Dr. Pulaski and uh in in talking about why he has this heart uh they retell the story of Picard uh bar brawling with Nosikins uh by showing like the young man the young like newly newly commissioned Ensign Picard fighting Nosikins in in the Matrix. This is damn exciting stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a youthful and hairy Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> yeah, full head. Taking a really long knife to the chest. It reminded me of the scene of Wesley getting stabbed with the uh with the bayonet. Yeah, in also a one. Q episode. Yeah. Yeah, Every- what is it about that form of death that is attractive to Q? <laughs> Yeah, no, lots of uh, lots of impalements in the Q verse. This is a great episode for Star Trek fighting because <laughs> it is just it is nothing but two handed punches, uh, like elbows to the chest, flips over the shoulder. Ben, yeah. if there were such a thing as like a strip mall dojo for Star Trek fighting, I would totally take classes there. <laughs> yeah, why the How fuck much fun the, would that be? Why do the Star Wars guys have lightsaber classes and we don't have Star Trek fighting classes? God, that would be so great. Like all the punching bags are just really tall. Yeah. You've got to wear for those flipping over shoulders. You've got to wear those twelve inch black boots and tuck your pants into them so that they flare out a little bit. Uh, the one thing that, that the instructors share with any other Taekwondo jo- dojo is always a ponytail. <laughs> Every time. Wharf pony, in yep. this case. <laughs> I hear jiu-jitsu is really good for balance. Jiu-jitsu sucks. Q suggests that uh, Picard could try this all over again. And Picard says that if, if he had that opportunity, he would, he would play these moments very differently. Things would be different. Just then a hand slaps across Picard's face, and he is in a old-timey uh, Kirk movie-era uniform, and he's on like a star base, and a woman has just slapped him and stormed out of the room. My love is a Did you get a good... 
glimpse of what this dorm was like. Not a lot of privacy, I thought. Yeah, it seemed like a like kind of an open plan, just beds and desks everywhere. Yeah. Kind of a deal. Yeah, slap to the face. Five fingers to your face, pipes. Slap! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the camera spins around, and we've got two yuck-yuck buddies from the academy, uh, Ensign Marta Botanides and uh, Ensign Corey Zweller, who is the... What did I write down? Is the world's shittiest Eric Stoltz. Oh... <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> you don't. You normally don't go that hard. You know, uh, Marta should be familiar to you, Ben. Isn't that one of your signed cards? Oh, shit, it's one of mine, isn't it? Maybe it's one of yours. I don't think it's one of mine. The 17-year-old J.C. Brandy. Yeah, UK actress. As Marta. She's, she's, uh... she's got some real boof from Teen Wolf vibes to me. Yeah. And I mean that very complimentary. Yeah, this is definitely... Uh... This is definitely a lady that's a little distracting when she's on screen. Yeah. Real nice. Pipes gets to make out with her, which is really... <laughs> <laughs> a little problematic, <laughs> did, I think. Did her parents have to sign something? <laughs> God, could you imagine? How does like, that work? <laughs> totally a minor. Like, oh, okay. It's okay, I'm Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Pipes sort of goes both ways in this episode Because a little after this He goes on a date with an older woman Like the reason he gets slapped is this girl Finds out about this second date And Ben, this is a major mistake That you only make once I feel like is double booking date night With two different women So he gets the five fingers to the face From woman one And then he goes out on the date with Penny Penny, sort of an older woman For a... uh, for a cadet of his his true age at the time, and he gets the drink sla- uh, splashed in the face from Penny. So he's he's yeah. basically he's basically screwed up both of his dates. Um, yeah. I wish that that was a mistake I had ever had an opportunity to make once. <laughs> uh, yeah, he pretty much deserves it on both counts. Um, what did you think of? Maybe Picard, but mostly Patrick Stewart playing the reactions to these things the way that he does. He still very much acts as a visitor in his own life. Like, he is not amused by any of these things in a way that I was sort of hoping for. I think he sort of has the thing that Troy had in The Face of the Enemy, which is that first walk out onto the bridge where she's asked to play a role that she has had no time to prepare for. She's not sure of herself. And, you know, Q didn't exactly give him a lot of warning about what was about to happen to him. And he's freaked out about it. Like, he's really worried that he's going to be causing some kind of timeline problem. Right. And it's so strange. Like, they have to... In a way that in so many other episodes, the rules of the game are implied instead of stated. Like, mm-hmm. they go ahead and state the rules of the game. You yeah, know, in the, they have to do uh, some, some serious exposition to make this one work. And, yeah. Uh, and I, find, I, I found that despite the fact that they did that, the exposition was really unsatisfying. And I don't think that I would have been satisfied if I were Picard. Because Q's promise is that 
I will give you my personal guarantee that nothing you do here will end up hurting anyone or have an adverse effect on what you know of his history. What he should have said is, you know, I can, I can rewind anything. You know, this can have all the effect in the world or none at all. Doesn't make a big difference. He levels one of the most withering insults I think he's given to anyone on the show, which is uh, telling Picard that he's not that important in terms <laughs> of, of like the space time continuum, which is brutal. Yeah. You'd have to think that uh, that keeps Picard up at night after this. Yeah. And, you know, we're 15 minutes into the episode, and I think it's made clear at this point that this is going to be a. It's a wonderful pipes episode. <laughs> oh, Adam. Captain Picard, this is your pipes. Which is a title so bad it caused you to leave our podcast recording, to hang up on me. Yeah, the, uh, the desperate clawing for the ding that you just did there <laughs> caused my entire internet connection to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve that. You know, yeah. during the break, I uh, I walked outside and yelled at a guy with a chainsaw to stop his work because I was recording a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> you may, in fact, still hear that chainsaw because of uh, how impotent that request was. Mm, yeah, that, I think it was last last week's shows. There was a guy sanding down the floors in the apartment across the hall from us, mm. and uh, I went to ask him if uh, he had anything quieter he could be doing. <laughs> Which was uh, maybe not the best strategy to take because he didn't have uh, particularly strong English skills. Oh, no. And, uh, and trying to explain that I was recording a Star Trek podcast took me further into the weeds than, <laughs> than that guy really deserved. We should, know, uh, we should know what embarrassment translates into in multiple languages. I am acute as a ball. You will assist us. Picard has not gone to this bar alone. He's uh, he gets the drink splashed on his face and uh, turns around, and uh, his buddy is is there playing Damjat, which has the distinction of me being maybe the first time they've come up with a fake game in this show, and had it be a game that looks like anybody would actually play. It looks like a ton of fun. It looks really fun. I want to play some of that Domjat. Yeah, Domjat looks great. You got people, like, watching the Domjat, playing the Domjat, putting their quarters up to be next to play Domjat. Yeah. That stroke. He's like, he's, uh, like he's playing a violin or something. One of the guys with the quarter for the next up is one of these Nausicans, yeah? The Nausicans are, the dialogue is written sort of like they, um, they wrote, English dialogue and then fed it into Google Translate <laughs> for Japanese and then put it in like Bing Translate back to English. Play Domjot Human. They've got very simplistic English skills. And um, Big is so often code for dumb on Star Trek, isn't it? Or like, yeah. or, or, or inarticulate. They look like they are a hair metal band from the Predator planet. Yeah. They're kind of, they're also kind of just a mishmash of other loaf we've already seen. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first time we actually see the Nausicans, right? Like we've heard about them before, but we've never seen them. Yeah. And they've got some 
some pretty intense mouth loaf specifically. Yeah, it does not look comfortable. Like, you know, in the way that like wearing stage hair, stage face makeup that includes hair has got to be like <laughs> itchy. I right. can't imagine what it's like to wear like three appendages around your lips and how hard it must be to not like pick at them or or tongue them or anything. The uh, the PAs, the crafty PAs, probably had to do a lot of runs to Jamba Juice during this shoot because that's oh, yeah. pretty much the only thing these guys are going to be able to consume. You're drinking through a straw for the length of the shoot, that's for sure. Yeah. One of the Nausicans challenges Corsi to a game of Domjot. Corey's feeling great about his his recent win. He's like, yeah, I'll take you on, dude. And Picard's like, no way. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta give this guy a wide berth. Look at how big he is, and he looks angry, and, and not only that, they're really sore losers. Yeah. Did you notice that people applause during Dom Jet? Yeah, I did, <laughs> especially Marta. Like, Marta claps like 20 times. Have you ever been to a dive bar and seen anybody clap their hands when somebody sunk the eight ball? Have you ever been the last clapper? Like, <laughs> I never want to be the last clapper. I've stopped clapping 10 claps before the other people most of the time. I like being the first clapper, though. There's like totally. a certain risk involved. Yeah. Like, can, can we get this going? <laughs> You're really going out on a limb there. Yeah. Marta takes it like there's, there's a clap conclusion and then sort of a coda part to the mm. clap that she yeah. repeats. Yeah. And, and yet, unlike, say, a Mr. Hollem on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the bridge of the surprise, uh, it's not like everybody turns and sticks their finger in their collar and goes, Gee. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, uh, Corey, young Corey, young redhead Corey is, uh, is inspired to keep Dom jotting. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and, Young Picard, as played by old Picard, tries to talk him out of it, and uh, it it's it becomes kind of a rift. Like the shittiest Eric Stoltz does not take kindly to Picard kind of second guessing a decision like this. And Picard's point is just like these guys are are real asswipes when they lose. Like let's not, you know, you're kind of asking for trouble, and he's like, well, I'm uh, I'm an asswipe when I lose too, buddy. Yeah, and it's like. You know, when you know someone for so long and you expect them to act a certain way, it's like, it's like if Plavim stopped going to strip clubs, Raz, <laughs> Raz would be like, what the hell, man? This is something that we really enjoyed. We used to do it all the time. Who, who are Raz and Plavim again? I don't know. That's not important. <laughs> yeah, that's neither here nor there. Well, uh, They're sure the ones enough. putting gas in your car, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if I had a car, I may, I might have remembered uh, who they were. But uh, so, sure enough, they treat Eric Stoltz like he's Michael J. Fox, and he loses. And uh, and they go back, and they're like, they're like, uh, they have it. They have like a pretty heated interaction here, right? Like uh, Eric Stoltz wants to go back and like trick out the table to make a make for a a sure thing of a rematch they're hell bent on revenge what does it mean it means omat <laughs> it means ray wang why can't you just let it go 
Yeah, they seem strangely focused on the Damjat situation, don't they? Like, they're about to ship out in, like, two days. They don't want to go out like this, though. I've played a lot of Damjat, a lot of places, and I've never seen the balls roll that well for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, they want... I, I think that, uh... There's this thing running through this episode, which is that, you know, your personal narrative, how you how you think about your past is kind of how you think about yourself, mm. how you define yourself, and the kind of that kind of like has major impact on the kind of opportunities that open up in your life. Mm. Uh, it's kind of the secret, but in Star Trek. And I think uh, Corey has like a intrinsic understanding of this as a young man and Picard as an old man inhabiting his younger self is much more conservative with the way he plays a situation and doesn't want it to get out of hand. Yeah, it's uh, it's old white conservatism, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are both Trump voters, but <laughs> but for very different reasons, you know. Right. Like uh, Corey is much more of like an alt right kind of guy, <laughs> and uh, Picard is settling for because he's the Republican nominee. Corey wants the statues to remain. <laughs> yeah. Corey seems really put off by by pipes at this point but marta appears to be i don't know if if she's more attracted by it but she sees this sensitivity in picard that that allows for a conversation she's never been able to have with him before which is the uh why didn't we ever do it conversation yeah and picard's like i don't know why didn't we ever do it and she's like well we could do it right now and picard's (laughs) like yeah why don't we just go ahead and do it and so they do it, Ben. They do it right there. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? They do it then, they do it there. And um a a really titillating makeout scene between a 17-year-old and uh I really don't even want to look up how old Patrick Stewart is in the scene, but <laughs> let's just say 18. Let's just say uh a problematic age. <laughs> Like, if you were to look at, at uh, Patrick Stewart's driver's license around this time, it would just say, age, problematic. Too old! <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, a specific uh, thing at the DMV for yeah. <laughs> when you get caught on screen doing something like this. Eyes blue, height, six feet, organ donor, yes. Age, problematic. The opting in for donating his organs is cold comfort yeah he doesn't have a heart to donate that's for sure he wakes up in in bed and uh gets a little loving stroke on his ear and uh, (laughs) rolls over to find one q in his captain's shirt rolling around in bed next to him this bed is too small ben it's like (laughs) a double bed yeah that was definitely like an era, though, right? Like when you're just out of college or whatever? Yeah, d- most definitely. When you don't know any better. We had, um, I think like my parents stayed with us one time recently, and we let them, let them use the big bed, and we stayed in our guest bed, which is my old full-size bed. Mm. <laughs> we were like, how the fuck did we ever do this? <laughs> my parents have a twin-size trundle bed. In their reti- in their post retirement uh, home, 
Sure. And I can only take it as a feeling of hostility toward visitors. Yeah, that's uh, that's more more of a. Why don't you look into uh, La Quinta in the yeah. in the nearby area? <laughs> really sends a message, I think. <laughs> so yes, um, at this point also, Corey has rigged the table and is like hell bent on re-challenging these Nausicans. So um, whether or not Picard likes it, the confrontational scene that is uh, supposed to end with uh, him skewered is uh, is impending. It's funny, we hear about this all the time in time travel. Like, it's sort of a trope in time travel movies that, you know, for all of your attempts to change what happens, there's a certain fate that intervenes and course corrects for whatever attempts you make to change it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a trope. And um, I think it's less heavy-handed in this episode than... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen it in some other things. But uh, yeah, like at this point, like there's real chilly vibes between Picard and Corey and Marta. Yeah, they have a morning after breakfast, Marta and Picard, and she is full on regretting (laughs) the doing it of the night before. I can only attribute this to maybe the sex wasn't great. Because Pipes' reputation around town is sort of a sort of a cat. She might have been a racist. Like I think she had to have pretty high expectations for what that would be like. Put a bag on my head. And instead he probably had that old man stamina. <laughs> no stamina, sad. <laughs> well, the Nausicans come in, they challenge Eric Stoltz to one more game of Domjat. Give you a better chance. Give you a bigger stick, maybe. And they're like about to get in the fight. They're they're like on the on the edge of the fight. They are Andari. Cowards. Nobody calls me. And Eric Stoltz like rushes one of the Nasikans and Picard grabs him and like shoves him incredibly violently back over one of the bar tables. Almost like, like jerk cable strength on Corey. Yeah, like like Corey takes the kind of fall that if he wasn't a stuntman could break your fucking neck. Like Yeah, and also where did Pipes get that strength? It, he's superhuman in this scene. It's kind of Yeah, but it's kind of like it, it you can't think of a good reason for the shove to be that hard. If Picard had hit a Nausicaan with the strength that he shoved Corey across the room with, <laughs> he'd be decapitated. <laughs> they wouldn't have done him the favor of stabbing him in the chest. It would have gone right through the neck, right? And Corey is fucking pissed. Rightfully so. He's pissed, but the the line reading here is... The line is, I don't know who you are anymore, but you're not my friend. And... Like, there are a lot of ways to play that moment as an actor. This guy plays it in, like, Christian Bale Batman voice. (laughs) It's so fucking over the top. I don't know who you are anymore, but you're not my friend. I am the night. I am the darkness. I'm going to go serve on the Ajax now. (laughs) 
My favorite game is Dom Jots. <laughs> I had a Dom Jot table installed in the Batcave. <laughs> I always wanted one as a kid, but my dad wouldn't get one for the basement. We had a rumpus room and everything. It didn't make sense. In a way, my father's death gave me permission to make all kinds of strange purchases like this. <laughs> Some people would call it a quarter-life crisis. <laughs> I call it living my best life. <laughs> so what if I want to eat Lucky Charms for breakfast? It's my choice. It's my body. I even have a place for the Dom Jot Q on my Batman <laughs> utility belt. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> we want to move on to P1s. <laughs> Just hat on hat on hat on hat. <laughs> The end of this fight results in, in Q congratulating Picard on averting the moment in his life that got him stabbed in the heart. And Picard turns around and he's on the bridge of the entrepreneur in a blue shirt. Yeah. Can I help you, Mr. Picard? Seeing him in the blue shirt is as striking as it was to see Data in the red shirt. There's something about his complexion that does not agree with the blue. Mm. I think it's a little better for Picard in blue than yeah. it was for Data in red, but it definitely is alarming, and it it doesn't like yeah like they have they have carved such a deep groove in our brains right at this mm. point for what color Picard's shirt should be. Yeah, like when when Worf and Geordi switch from red to yellow, it doesn't blow your mind that much. Yeah, but. Uh, at this point, we've got, you know, more than a hundred episodes lined up of this guy in red. So seeing him in blue is like. <gasps> Patrick Stewart does a really subtle thing here after his quantum leap, which is he does not assume captain's posture ever. Mm -hmm. Like his shoulders are never pulled back. He never uh, he never pulls down the front of his uniform at any point. Uh, mm -hmm. He is very subtly slouched yeah and he's he's got uh he's got a pip and a half and he's like getting told what's going on by Worf and data data is like you know he's like disoriented and doesn't know you know what his status is and where he stands on this ship so data is like hey you, you seem pretty confused there little buddy perhaps i should escort you to six bay no i can find my own way there he even offers to walk him there which I thought was really charitable. Yeah, like, this very, is Data. Yeah. One of the most humane things Data has done. Yeah. And he's an, he's an astrophysics officer, so he has been, uh, he's been sent back to the age that he was before this little Q adventure. Yeah. But uh, to a, a life path that is marked uh, not by the success of JLP, but by a certain degree of mediocrity. Yeah. He launches into six bay and he's like, Beverly, something crazy's happened. And in, in Beverly's chair wheels around a, a doctor smocked cue, 
with one of those giant reflectors. What seems to be the trouble, Lieutenant Picard? Yeah, why is Q dressed as 1950s doctor? Because it's fun. He's just having a little fun. <laughs> yeah, but like, in what context? Like, this is definitely something they had in the costume closet on the on the Paramount lot. But like, why why this for Q? Yeah, I don't know. Silly. He's like, look, Picard, this is what you wanted. You wanted the chance to go back and redo your uh, your youthful indiscretions. Well, you've done it. And this is where it's gotten you. And uh, by the way, it's gotten you alive in a way that the other path leaves you dead. So uh, enjoy. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and. That's all Picard needs to hear to think, I need a fucking drink. So he heads yeah. down to 10 forward. And before he uh, before he pulls his belly up to the bar, he spots uh, Riker and Troy on kind of like a quasi-date. And he's like, oh, fuck, guys, I got to talk to you about this. And they're like, uh, well, we were in the middle. He's like, no, seriously, like, this is really important. Can I can I sit down? They're like, uh, well, and he's like, thanks, thanks. Um, listen, I've uh, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that I'm a lieutenant, and I'd like to uh, like start to think about ways I could advance my career. Perhaps we should discuss this at your next evaluation. Observing that, uh, you know, so far I haven't really done much uh, in the like obviously like multiple decade term of service I've had in the in the Starfleet, and. Riker and Troy are like complimentary about his work ethic, but um, they're pretty hesitant to um, give a full-throated endorsement of the plan that he's suggesting of like trying to advance himself and become more of a figure of agency. This is my favorite scene in the episode because it really brings into relief the relationship in a couple of different ways. Like the way that we know these people and how close they are and then their opportunity to act totally against that type. Like, for Riker and Troy to be a little put off by Picard sitting next to them, to see Picard ask for career advice in a in the fashion that he does is shocking. I mean, for a lot of people, this episode is about, like, regrets in that it's a wonderful life sort of way. But... Like, this is the moment in the episode that informs to me that it's about taking chances. And the huge difference, you said this earlier, like the huge difference between how other people see you, how you see yourself, and how much of a person's life is about closing the distance between those two things. And this is a moment where Picard attempts to close that distance. And to be utterly rebuffed in the way that he is here is just shattering. It shatters me every time I see it. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the, conversely, the scene that I have the biggest problem with in this episode. Um, oh, I almost spit-take that, really? <laughs> yeah, because I think that this scene, like, you're right, it gets to the core of the premise of the episode, and I think that the premise of the episode is where my problem lies. I think that this is tremendously insulting to the dignity of having a long career uh, doing something. I mean, mm. like, there is... Like, we know who Picard is um, and, you know, what he's capable of. But I think that 
um, I don't know, like I, I, like my mom was a teacher for 30 years and there's nothing glamorous about being a teacher in the same way that there's nothing glamorous about being a junior grade astrophysics officer. Oh, but, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. And, and like, I think that like I, my personal bias in life is to try and get people's attention <laughs> and be the boss. Like I like being the director. Uh, I like being at the, at the center of it a little bit. Um, and it's kind of just, it's how I'm wired, mm-hmm. but I, um, and I think that this is really something that is a bias in Hollywood, especially, which is that like, I think everybody kind of has that to one degree or another. And like, I had the same problem with La La Land last year. Um, it's a, it's a movie about, you know, struggling artists making, sacrifices and taking leaps of faith to do what they want to do. And that's a kind of story that I'm really down for because it speaks a lot to my life, except for in this case, it was written and directed by a guy who's like 28 and has been a tremendously successful director for his entire adult life. And I just like, I don't see what that guy has to add to that conversation. And this scene to me, and I don't disagree that it's really well played. Like I think that the the acting and the kind of turning the status of the characters on their head is brilliantly executed. It's just that like, I, I think that there is room in the world for people that aren't wired like me and do just want to have like a, quiet dignity in their lives and don't want to be the the captain. My interpretation of this was that was not that there was not satisfaction to be had in a life of quiet dignity. It was that uh, that type of life did not comport to Picard's into the way that Picard self-actualized himself. Yeah. And, and like, you know, for many, and in fact, for most people, most people are very happy doing whatever it is they're doing, whether it's great or small. But it's the conflict between taking someone out of one stream of life and placing them into another that was so disruptive and, and terrible. And I guess yeah. I didn't take it as insulting toward one way of life versus another it was just that the tension between a man's relationship to the way things were versus uh the circumstances this is that he was dropped into yeah i think that that's i think there's definitely some validity in that i think i most definitely felt the way you did like there was a there was a moment in this conversation where i was like Let's not insult the astrophysics guys whose work is noble and good and satisfying to anyone who is in that career, you know? So I I felt yeah. that. I think that it's a a probably a very personal story for whoever wrote this. Yeah. Who wrote this one? I don't remember. And a totally valid experience. The thing that informed my feelings on this scene were were extremely personal though. The mm-hmm. The discomfort and dissatisfaction I have with my own life and my own ambitions are what make this scene read so strongly for me. Yeah, I think that uh, 
there is, it is very hard to ever feel satisfied when you have a strong desire to be somewhere else. And, right. and the character of Picard in this very much does. And that's very palpable. And I think that, um, yeah, like if you, if you read this scene as it's not about everybody has to be super successful and wield authority other, over other people to have any value, um, you know, if, if, uh, if that's the way you read the scene, then it's pretty insulting. But if you just read right. it as like, it's just Picard's personal experience and his sense of where he wants to be and feeling very far from that, uh, I guess I have less of a problem with it. One omission from this life, uh, this timeline is that Picard grieves for his career but he also has no friends. He's lost all of his friends and relationships from his other life. And right. I wonder how differently this this timeline would have played to us as the viewer if he was married to Marta, for example, in a mm. in a uh, Keiko and O'Brien style loveless marriage or if he was still friends with Beverly, but their relationship was not as strong or maybe right. stronger. Maybe he marries Beverly Crusher. Like, is there anything about this life that would give him a uh, reason to pause his request when he sees Q again, which is basically put me out of my misery. I can't do this anymore. I'd rather die on the table than live this life. Yeah. Uh, hard to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if like, I think that there's, definitely room in this premise for a double episode like that where yeah. you really like go through some versions the one but, place this episode lacks for me is that the decision is so easy for him there's nothing there's nothing to stay for and if he had one little thing to stay for i think that would have been a really intense choice to complicate that yeah, yeah. He like gets in the turbo lift and he basically begs Q to bring him back. Does it amuse you to think of me living out the rest of my life as a dreary man in a tedious job? The turbo lift doors open and he's back in the Matrix, and uh, he persuades Q to let him like put put things back the way they were. So he reappears in the bar fight scene, and uh, it's like right before he shoved his his buddy Eric Stoltz and um and in in this context rather than getting in between his friend and the Nosikin to defend his friend from the or to uh, defend the Nosikin from his friend he st- steps in between to start <laughs> start throwing haymakers just dropping axe handles everywhere yeah and um this fight is pretty rough like Marta gets like a couple of Pretty serious punches to the face. Yeah. Uh, Eric Stoltz goes flying across the room. Like Picard Picard is essentially the ultimo hombre on the uh on the Federation side of this thing. The it's a real Mike Tyson's punch out uh <laughs> you know, scale between the Federation guys and and the Nosikans. Like they're really punching up. Uh, uh, up yours, dude. Well you always have to punch up. I was expecting that moment in the fight where someone jumps onto someone else's back and, like, the big guy just sort of spins around. 
<laughs> As a big versus small fight often ends up. <laughs> the Nasican goes, You merely adopted Dumb Jack. I invented Dumb Jack. <laughs> You can tell that I have just recently seen Alien Covenant because when the knife goes through Picard's chest, I was expecting like 40 gallons of blood from that. (laughs) (laughs) So Picard wakes up on the bio bed. His vital signs are stable. Uh, A little unclear whether Crusher has saved him or Q just kind of unfused whatever was fused. Because like no further work has been done. You know, like yeah. they, they haven't cut off the shirt. He doesn't even have the the like things on his temples to to shock him back back awake. I sort of got that this was this was a Q miracle. Yeah, and he's uh, he's laughing in the same. He, it's like the continuation of the laugh from when the uh, the spike goes through his chest. Yeah, and uh, meanwhile the the other away team guy who was injured. Down on the planet is like, can you, can I maybe have a rag or something? <laughs> the the button on the episode is uh, in the observation lounge, Riker and Picard talking over the near-death experience that Picard had. A very cool, long push-in on this uh, on this scene where... They start like way down. The camera's like way, way down at the other end of the table. Yeah. And pushes all the way into a really tight two shot. Well executed. I think they probably had to like have grips like moving the chairs out of the way as yeah. they did this. Yeah, that was really uh, cool. It's pretty seamless though. It's like, it's a it's a good floating camera. And, um, you know, Picard doesn't have any good way of knowing whether it's something that like his brain gave him. Or if it was actually something that Q did? You know, there's still part of me that cannot accept that Q would give me a second chance. Or that he would demonstrate so much compassion. I really like that Picard chose Riker to have this conversation with, too. You only occasionally get a sense of how intimate they are as friends. And I think this is one of those moments. You can't tell just anyone this story. You sound like a crazy person. (laughs) Yeah, does does Picard have to put this in a report? Man, I mean, I don't know what Necheyev would do if if she read this report. <laughs> I'm here to relieve you of command of the Enterprise. She'd probably install Jellico again. Yeah. Jellico's Necheyev's kind of officer, you know? Riker admits that he wished he had the chance to know this Jean-Luc Picard. Sort of a lifestyle that Riker lives right now, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, that guy and I would have been great friends. Tell me a little bit more about Penny. You think she's still around? You think she has the same number? (laughs) And if it was Q, I owe him a debt of gratitude. So, Ben, we know you don't like this episode, but can I ask you uh, where it may fall in the spectrum of the bell curve, if you will, of of Mountain to Armas? Well, that's a... That's an interesting question. I mean, this is another episode where I don't feel like it indicts the whole series in any way. Like, my problems with it are very, like, this episode specific. Mm. But, I mean, I think that it carries with it all of the weights of the reasons I don't like Q as a character. Because I think it kind of... Q as a character is a... Is a... The kind of thing that I don't think works well in Trek. Mm. And, um... 
And I, I think that like exploring the idea of the afterlife in Trek is, is something that rarely works for me. You know, I think that they've taken stabs at it in almost every iteration of the series to one extent or another. And I just feel like, you know, uh, I understand the temptation if it's a show about boldly going where no one has gone before and death being the most unknowable thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's unknowable because it's unmeasurable, and this is supposed to be a science fiction show. Yeah, those are those are great points. I had um, the thought a little way through this episode of, like, this was a very Capra Star Trek, and it made me wonder how portable other forms of other genres of film might be uh, when transplanted onto a Star Trek world. Mm -hmm. The mind kind of reels, you know? Yeah. Like, I wonder if you could start in a place of like, take, take the 10 most beloved films ever made. And which one of those stories would be portable enough to make a Star Trek episode out of? I wonder how many of those would work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it had a um, a certain amount of defending your life vibes to it, mm -hmm. um, which is a film I really love. And I, I think a great treatment of the afterlife. There's also a little um, bit of, oh, God, you devil in this, too, in a I fun way. One. Is if Q were the George Burns figure of that movie, but yeah, like that's another that's another sort of deal with the devil replay your life story. Mm -hmm. So you know, I think that uh, end end of the day, it falls apart for me on a couple of grounds. But uh, I think that like from a technical standpoint, it's very well executed, and there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Like. I don't think it's failure is an uh, artistic level. I think it's more uh, on a, like, I kind of have a strong gut reaction against the message of it and and uh, my standing Q, anti-Q feelings. Yeah, that's a hell of a combo. It's a one-two punch in the Mike Tyson parlance. Uh, tell me what you like about this one. What I like are the feelings that in that it engenders in me like i know it's a, it's a purely subjective viewpoint to have but this episode makes me think a lot about my own life in a way that i am frequently tormented you know i'm constantly replaying the decisions i've made or things i could have done differently mm -hmm. and this is an entire episode with people i care about doing those same things so uh, it really resonates for me in that way in a way that is like not it's strange you know like that's not an enjoyable exercise <laughs> i don't do it because i like it but there's uh there's a certain degree of catharsis in watching other people do it and a <laughs> and a and like a maybe a familiar normalcy like if if these if these exceptional people have even though they're fictional, like have the same doubts or feelings that I have, maybe I'm not so far off the right track. Hmm. Do you want to uh, see if we have any priority ones? Yeah, let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. 
Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message comes from a Canadian. And it is for Adam and Ben. Hey, that's you and me. Ben, the message goes like this. This is a distress call from a Bajoran vessel in a neighboring sector. (laughs) I've come to book my holidays many months in advance. And you have yet to release dates for Greatest Gen Con 2017. I am paying many scarves to beg you to reveal a save the date <laughs> to your legions of faithful Borgs on gach.biz slash mail. Wow. As Wesley might beg Picard from his knees. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's filthier than I would expect a Canadian to get in a request Ooh. of this kind. Maybe he'll write another P1 in to say sorry. Well, Canadian, I would love to give you more information on the dates and whereabouts of Greatest Gen Con 2017, but to be honest, we're not quite there yet. We're thinking like probably October or November, right? Yeah, most definitely after the tour that we're planning for August. Yeah, Uh, which uh, is probably going to have a Canadian stop, so... Right. I don't know what part of Canada you're writing in from, but... uh, Canada is big. It is a big it is a big place with not that many people in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we will we'll, we're we're working hard to get that stuff squared away, um, and we will square it ASAP. Yeah, we don't intend to keep this from anyone. It's just not finished yet. Yeah. All right, we have another priority one message here. It is from Jim, and it's to Ben and Adam. Hey, that's us. It goes like this. Yes. Another veto and counter veto. I love it. The fact that I believe you when you say there are no shenanigans going on makes it even funnier. That being said, Rascals is the worst. If there's one episode in the whole series to veto, that's it. Yep. <laughs> no question. I don't know, man. I don't know. Look, uh, we've said it before, I will say it again. I promise on everything that I hold dear, there are no shenanigans involved when it comes to these vetoes. These are spontaneous vetoes. No shenanigans. <laughs> I put shenanigans on my tool belts. <laughs> we turned our rumpus room into a shenanigan cave. Shenanigans is my favorite fast casual restaurant. I fear shenanigans, so I became a shenanigan myself to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies. They gave me shenanigans because they knew I could take it. (laughs) I'm not the shenanigan you need right now, but I'm the one you deserve. One thing that I'm not so sure we deserve, Ben, are these this constant stream of P1s, but boy, am I grateful to have them. If any of our listeners out there have a message to send, either us or anyone else, they can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. And they are a great way to keep up the production of our program. Thanks, everyone. Hey, baby. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in 
paintings. They send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. Uh, what's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I did. The guy I want to call out is a wordless, deep background guy. There's a bunch of scenes in this smoky bar where the Domjot table is. Yeah. And uh, you got, like, uh, one of the dogs from the Fish versus Dog Alien episode. Yeah. Shows up in there a couple of times. But um, I think it's the scene where Picard walks in to uh, ultimately shove his buddy and prevent the fight. 
there's a guy just like leaning up really in a really awkward way near the door of the bar. And he just looks for everything in the world like a background character from Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's just like kind of a heavy set, long hair with kind of a Game of Thronesy tunic and a Game of Thronesy beer mug. And uh it just it, it it was so fun to think about like how does this guy get to space bar from <laughs> medieval sword fighting land that he obviously comes from. Maybe he's stuck there like that uh like that Tom Hanks character in that movie where he lives in an airport. <laughs> like yeah. he had his visa taken and he can't leave. Yeah. I just like that guy a lot. Great background work in this episode. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Fish versus dog appears to be getting along smashingly. There's centuries of war having not reached the station, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or, or maybe these guys are like real chill dudes from each society that ran away and like became pals. Like, you know, like, hey, we're not like we're not like those assholes. That's why we left. I wonder if it's hard to play dom jet when you got three fingers. Yeah. Uh, did you have a Shimoda, Adam? Yeah, I'm sure it's a Shimoda that'll make you happy because you really love dumping on this Corey guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it to Corey for another uh, another one of his line reading takes. Uh, after after they retire to the dormitory, after he gets beaten and domjot by one of the uh, Nausicans, his, uh, his take on the line, he was controlling the balls is very funny to me. <laughs> he was controlling the balls. <laughs> like, he really runs that balls line. Like, like for several A's. Mm. Several L's and an S. Good times. Pretty fun. Ben, what do we have coming up? What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season six, episode 16, The Birthright. Part one, Worf and Data embark on unusual journeys to seek out their fathers. Do you remember this episode, Adam? As I remember it, this is the, like, Rambo 2 Worf story, where he's got to <laughs> yeah. go, like, find the POWs. Yeah, it's uh, it's very much that. Um, yeah, for for all... Uh, I, feel like, I feel like season six is... Shaping up to be the daddy issues season. It's also the uh, cliffhanger season. What do we yeah. got? Like four cliffhangers season six? Really getting addicted to that to be continued graphic. Yeah. <laughs> got to get value for that graphic. Excited well, to see uh, it, Ben. <clears throat> As am I, Adam. Uh, I think that uh, we will have to come back next week and talk about that one. Next week. Next, in a couple of days. This train doesn't stop, Ben. It's car after car. We could go through all of them. <laughs> One thing that's fun to go through week <laughs> after week is uh, all of our uh, all of our online places where people gather to uh, riff on the show, make uh, more scarf jokes than some people can even handle. <laughs> uh, we've got a, a very lively Facebook group, a very lively subreddit, both our uh, greatest gen. And uh, we've got the hashtag greatest gen on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time and I am at Benjamin R A H R. 
And there's also the Greatest Gen Wikia, where uh, you can read up on the genesis of various uh, various repeat goofs from this show. Yeah. Uh, you can also send us an email using drunkshimoda at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, there's lots of ways to support the show, not just Priority One messages. We've got a bunch of merch out there still. T-shirts yeah, and glasses. On merch. Working on new merch as we speak. We are also uh, very appreciative of the support, the ongoing support that people show to our program at uh, MaximumFun.org slash donate. We should thank Adam Ragusea, who makes lots of custom music for our show, and Dark Materia, who of course makes the theme music. Thank you. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, an episode of The Greatest Generation that uh, uses a wide-angle lens to let you know when you're in a dream sequence. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.